Welcome, 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 everybody, to the Asuminati podcast. Woo! Hey. Oh, yeah. <laughs> easy. Take it easy with all that energy. Get back, so much if you will. Get back. Hey, let it be. Mm-hmm. I'm excited. Woo! I'm excited for this episode. That's what I'm talking about. We are finally going to tackle, and not a minute too late, the recent documentary on Disney Plus, The Beatles. Get Sorry, back. guys. It took a long time because it took me a while to. Get it's only it. 20 hours long. Yeah. Only. Okay. Maybe you got through it. You got through it, Robert. Proud you of it. Everyone, I'll clap it. for Robert. Woo! Mm-hmm. Commitment. I'll clap. You committed. That. You got I'll through clap it. For that. Peter Jackson, of course, gave it the Peter Jackson treatment. Put the effort in. It could have been much longer. Could have been shorter. It could have petered out. Could have <laughs> Peter Jacksoned out. Okay. <laughs> Well, let's get to it. We really want to talk about this. We're not passionate about the Beatles at all, are we, Matt? Uh, there's a slight uh, passion going on this. <laughs> you two are like yeah. two little schoolgirls. <laughs> I geeked a out for bit. sure. We liked yeah. it just a little bit. So we want to talk about some of our some of our favorite parts of the documentary. Maybe even some things we didn't know beforehand. Maybe you'll learn a thing or two, or at least have something to go look up and, and look into. I'm looking forward to learning tonight as well. So again, it's the Beatles Get Back, Peter Jackson, directed, documentary, and produced. Disney Plus. We've been hearing we've out. been hearing about this for years now. It originally was planned to be a two, two and a half hour documentary that was going to be released in theaters. Once people got word that this was happening, interest blew up. You just look at some of the the initial YouTube videos that came out, just millions overnight. Millions of people were interested. They realized how big of a deal this was and put the full Peter Jackson experience together, gave him the green light. Disney got involved, turned this into a three-part, almost seven-hour, I believe, documentary series. And it was worth every minute, every minute. Yeah, if anyone hasn't seen it, you really should do yourself a favor and see it. Even if you're not a huge fan of the Beatles, it's interesting to see when they're in their prime, um, just writing songs and the creative process. It's amazing. You should check yeah, it out. Totally. It's amazing I mean, that they even. I watched it. it, and I only slept for a little part of it. Hey, once there we go. There we go. <laughs> It was very soothing. We got Buffalo Bobby's take on on some of these parts as well. Good. Well, I'm excited to hear what you guys thought about probably my favorite thing that I watched in 2021, bar none. So, what we're going to do first, we're going to start. I watched it in 2022. Ah, that's right. Most recently. And maybe you can give us the freshest take there, Bobby. So, this will be good. So fresh. Super fresh. Bobby's all about keeping it fresh. So first, let's start with what pleasantly surprised you? What, what's something that you came in and you didn't expect and you were just giddy? You, wow, I wasn't expecting that. Do you want to start us off, Buffalo Bobby? Yeah. So the, the little fluffy dude with the beard, I think his name was Paul. Um, I really kind of liked watching him through the whole thing. Um, like he has charismatic and like just got to know him a little bit better so yeah i like that kind of seeing the footage 
because otherwise I'd only seen them on their album covers. Sure. And that was it. So made me relate to him as a fluffy guy with a beard. Nice. We're throwing some pictures up now. I, I agree with you on his hairdo and his beard. I think that's peak Paul McCartney look, in my opinion. That, that's the Paul McCartney I I prefer. It, was, it wasn't quite a mullet, but it was, uh, oh, I had that wavy look. And when he was playing his instruments, it had that perfect little shake to it. I'm with yeah. you, Robert. I yeah. fell in love, too. I fell in love yeah. as well. He, he should have kept the beard. I mean, honestly. Yeah, maybe. He can do what he wants, though, sir. Sir. Nowadays, I don't know how that would look. <laughs> True. <laughs> so that that was not be a good look. That was what pleasantly surprised Robert, though, was it was the look of Paul McCartney. Him, yeah, maybe him. He great, just in the him. Documentary. Period. All right. Yeah, and is you know just just him. Like I actually enjoyed watching him. That's awesome. And I didn't expect that when I sat down to watch this thing. Very nice. Love that. Yeah, it's on full display, is it not? I mean, he's obviously he, he by this time he's become the Beatles' leader. They they take his direction. He's got that charismatic way about him. Um, helps that he's yeah. got that charming mm. British accent. So, as they all do, I think yeah. that's a good observation, Robert. I mean, that Paul really McCartney is. needed to step up, and the Beatles needed a leader. You know, a, a year ago they'd lost Brian Epstein, their their manager, and so they were kind of, you know, a boat, a rudderless boat. You know what I mean? They're kind of drifting without a paddle. A self, <laughs> and they they self admitted yeah. that, right? They, yeah, for sure. The they needed they, it. They said, "Man, Epstein gave us direction and structure, and we don't have it." <laughs> yeah, so, for sure. Yeah, it's a good pickup, Robert. Anything else yeah. there? That was the main thing. Nice. I mean, I fell asleep slightly after that for a little bit, but well, I had some really sweet dreams. Let's talk about how we consumed it. Robert, I, I think you tried powering through it all at once. Is that back right? Back to back. You know, <laughs> I turned it on. I had some schoolgirls nagging me to get it watched. So hey. I was like, I am picking this time and I'm oh. not leaving the couch. Take that as a compliment. That's what you have to do sometimes. And I didn't leave the couch. Mm. Yeah. And then just planted it. Mm -hmm. I waited until midnight, Thanksgiving night, for the first part to come out. Watched it that night. Uh, the second part, I watched at a truck stop in Iowa as I was traveling cross country. And then the third part, nice. I watched in my my friend Chad's game room. So I consumed it as it was coming out. I, I couldn't get enough of it. Matt, did you, you you watched it pretty quick as well? Yeah, I waited. I waited until all three episodes were out. Okay. And then I uh, powered through it, not all at the same time, but probably over the span of two days. Nice. Um, that was the first time I watched it, and I've watched it two other times since. I'm with you. I, I can't get nice. enough of it. Very nice. Okay, well, maybe I'll go next as far as yeah. what pleasantly surprised me. Yeah, Let's hear it, Brandon. Let's see. A lot. <laughs> How do you narrow it down just to one? You just got to pick one, man. Just one thing. Ah, what, what do I got here? Because the whole thing was just pleasantly surprising. I, I think we've been primed for something like this as Americans, especially with all of our reality TV. This this is like peak reality TV. We got we got some home video of the Beatles professionally done. So I was mainly pleasantly surprised, and this was kind of a new discovery for me was how involved Billy Preston was in the project and how important he was. 
So do yeah, you remember he's him? The fifth Beatle. Pretty much, right? He he came in there. They needed a keyboardist. Otherwise, they, they would have figured it out, I'm sure. Paul would have jumped on the keyboard and figured this thing out. But man, you could just tell it fixed. Whatever yeah. conflict they had going on, it was he man. was like uh he was like Red Bull. You know what I mean? Yeah, he came in and just gave those guys wings. And what he really boost. did. Like you what can you can boost. see in that second episode when uh just the, by the smile of Paul McCartney when when Billy Preston's getting it on the keyboard and just nailing it the first time he sits down and just r- rips out some some killer keyboarding and uh Paul McCartney's smile is like ear to ear John Lennon lights up and then they just kind of float the rest of the way through that perf- that uh, uh performance. George's entire demeanor changed as well. He was kind yeah, of George who, suggested it early right. on. Remember yeah, in the he, first episode? He was the one who brought him in. Yep. What a, yeah, what a breath of fresh air he was to the entire project. You could tell the Beatles needed it. They might, I don't, ah, this might be an overstatement here, an overreaction. I'm not, I don't know if they would have made it through <laughs> without, without Billy Preston as far as making it through that project in one piece. Maybe they would have, but you can yeah. obviously tell I, I just that took me completely by surprise. It was super impressive, just his talent. And then they went on to produce him for a few records through Apple, yep. Apple Records, their label. So Billy, Billy Preston, man, that 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 was amazing, talented guy. Un, for sure. Unreal. It, it, my jaw dropped. My wife, who's a uh, classical pianist, she she really appreciated Billy and his contributions to the just just how seamless his contributions were to that group during that album so and he was credited as a musician on the album which nobody else has that uh, nobody else can say that that they are a credited credited artist on a beatles album okay so that that blew me away matt what you got uh well nothing really blew me away but some things kind of pleasantly surprised me so i'm going to go that route so yeah the pleasant surprise for me was basically just the how prolific those guys were as songwriters to come up with all of the songs that they did in the short period of time and then the the whole process the artistic process of sitting down and figuring out a song together to me was the the biggest eye opener for me and it was awesome I mean, just to see those guys sit down and kind of come up with the the tune, come up with the lyrics, kind of bounce those ideas off of each other. That was the pleasant, surprising thing for me. Once One minute, the song does not exist, period. And then <laughs> all of a sudden it's... Yeah, there. or you're hearing lyrics that make no oh. sense and they're nonsense lyrics. And then all of a sudden, you know, the eyes go up and it's like, oh, yeah, uh, Tucson, Arizona, you know? Yeah. Wait, oh, is that a place in Arizona? Yeah, that's a place in Arizona. Let's go turn, with that. Turning get back in, from a protest song into <laughs> just, yeah. just just some lyrics that sound great. Just stuff that you just never knew. I'm with you. Just unbelievably good at writing songs. And they had just finished the White Album, uh, pretty much a double album. And then they, if you noticed in the documentary, were pretty much writing Abbey Road at the same time. Oh, yeah. As half of Abbey Road. And many Road of the songs that appear on Abbey Road were in were that the, documentary were for in sure. The documentary. And so just the amount of, yeah, just the amount of talent, the, the way that they can pull those out, I'm with you. Man. Yep. Yeah, so let, let's change gears a little bit. Was there anything that you found 
to be maybe unpleasant, maybe irked you, irked your taters in the long in the wrong way, so to speak. What what do you think, Robert? Do you have anything that? Yeah. So there wasn't like a, anything that was like unexpected or horrible, but I just gotta say, watching the body language of Yoko Ono through the thing, it just annoyed me. It's like, lady, go get a hobby, go do something. You know, you don't need to be hanging out for eight hours straight, sitting on some dude's lap while he's trying to work. You know, you're a Yoko hater, huh? I don't know. I I can't say before I watched it, I was ever a Yoko hater or that like I thought it was all that big of thing. I never bought into the whole, you know, she's the reason the Beatles broke up necessarily. I just hated watching her on the screen for that long. Like, it's like, you're not part of them. Get off the stage, you know, go shopping, do something because I don't know. There was just something about her body language that was driving me nuts watching it. So, yeah. And go with that. She yeah. Kind of obnoxious if, for sure. If you came into this documentary as a Yoko hater, you didn't leave the documentary feeling any different. So I, I, I don't think it changed anybody's mind on that. So yeah, yeah, I think it reinforced that negative uh, vibe of Yoko for sure. Yeah, it's just weird. I mean, watching it with my wife back again. Yeah, the vibes are 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 a little bit weird, right? Like you're sitting there reading the Beatles magazine while they're writing songs, or doing whatever the heck she was doing with her Mm -hmm. chants and her yells. Um, They should have edited her out a little bit. And there's some articles that you can read some documentaries on youtube that you can watch some quick videos on why she may have been there every second of every day she had nothing better to do no hobbies nothing (laughs) yeah they were they were setting up some things that they would do later on together um where they really didn't leave their side or the bed for (laughs) months on end so uh yeah the bed in the the protests and the the Mm -hmm. things that they would do together um, the activist type events, but yeah, it didn't make it any, any more pleasant to watch. I'm with you, Robert. Mm-hmm. Good, good pickup. Okay. The thing that got me, maybe irked me a little bit. Um, it was the director of the entire thing. So Glenn he John, you, huh? Glenn Johns isn't the one who bugged me. He's kind of the engineer that they really yeah, needed. I, I know who you're talking about. It, it bugged me a little bit that he was in a hurry. That irked me a little bit. The director, I think his name was Michael Hogg. Michael Lindsay Hogg, yeah. if I remember right. I think you're right. He just, he would get, he would jump into a conversation and just give the worst advice or the worst idea. Um. He was the one who was suggesting maybe they do a concert at a children's hospital, but not the kind of hospital where they're too sick. Like he would say, <laughs> he would say just these stupid things. He would suggest things and you could see Paul just, okay, whatever. I guess we've hired you on here. I'll, I'll just humor you for a couple minutes. Uh, it just seemed like he was inserting himself way too often. Apparently he was a child actor. So ever since he was little, He's been in some kind of showbiz, and you kind of felt it. Anyway, he, he bugged. <laughs> and the, the Harry Krishna guy in the corner to start episode one, he kind of bugged me too. That was kind of weird. But uh, 
kind of felt like they were leeching <laughs> off of George Harrison. Yeah, maybe, a little bit. Maybe abusing that friendship a little bit. Anyway, uh, just a few things that irked me. It, it didn't ruin anything for me. It was just whenever he would show up and start talking, I'd cringe a little bit, and I, I wish he wasn't there. So that was I'm my with you 100%. Cool. Matt, what you got? Yeah, so I think the thing that kind of irked me a little bit, well, not a little bit, kind of a lot, was the treatment of George Harrison. Okay. From from the rest of the group, except for uh, Ringo. But from Paul and from John, the treatment of George, you know, and, and one thing I didn't know, believe it or not, before, you know, this documentary is that the Beatles had actually broken up during this thing. You know, George actually left the band and was done with it. I didn't and, know that the timing either of that yeah yeah i I thought that all came after uh instead of during and they had to go beg him back but the thing is i think the thing that really kind of irked me is even after they they figured out a way to get him back and he came back they still didn't listen to him he was making all these suggestions and you could see from the body language he was getting upset with uh paul mccartney mostly um and john both of them just kind of whatever George was saying kind of was just left, left out, you know, any suggestion that he made was, was just uh, thrown by the wayside. And you can see that they were just, you know, you know, it's like he said later on in some interviews, he got his quota, his, his one or two songs per album. And then that's it. They weren't going to give him anything else. And so I can understand his frustration. And I didn't really feel like those guys during that entire documentary treated him with with a whole lot of respect so agree oh man it's he would see these magic moments and you'd see paul and john going back and forth and he was left out yeah and and when he left when he left for those days it kind of reminded me if you've ever seen the movie that thing you do yeah okay so you know how he uh uh the leader of the band i can't remember his name just now but he gets all upset and he slams his guitar down in the dressing room and he's I'm like, done. I'm done. Yeah, I'm, I'm, done. I'm, 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 I'm out, done. whatever. I quit, I quit. <laughs> or I, I quit. quit, yeah, I quit. Yeah. <laughs> something snappy. You want something snappy? Yeah, I quit, I quit. And then he leaves or whatever. And then and then the drummer, Steve Zahn, you know, he's he's like, there he goes, off to write the next big hit, Alone of My Principles. And anyway, I kind of had that whole scenario going through my mind when George left and then they had to go kind of convince him to come back or whatever. And it was like definitely an unhealthy um, relationship between the, those guys for sure at the end days. Man. Yeah. Yeah. uh, It got a little better when Billy was there, but yeah, for sure. You're right. (laughs) And they did mention, if you pay attention, it happened really quick. Both Ringo and George mentioned the quota that they got. Yeah. Ringo briefly mentioned it as he was presenting one of his songs later in the in the documentary about his quota. George mentions yeah. his quota. George starts talking about doing his own album. That's how left out he feels. I have all yeah, of these sure. songs to present to the yeah. world. And he did. He had a whole catalog of songs. Mm-hmm. He sure did. Yeah. Soon it became hits. Yeah. Yep. Robert, you're exactly right. He was the first Beatle to have a, a worldwide number one hit outside of the Beatles. So he kind of proved it, proved it right. Dropped that double album as soon as, as soon as they broke up. He really did have a list of songs. And I believe he said in the documentary, it would take decades 
according to his quota of two per album, I believe, it would take forever to get all of his songs out there if he was limited by his quota. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I'm with you, Matt. Good, good catch. That's, that was obvious throughout the documentary. I'd leave too, probably. When he came back, Ringo made a joke. Are you going to welcome him back with flowers? So this was something I didn't know. Ringo quit during the White Album. I didn't know that either. <laughs> I had hmm. to look that up. Why did Ringo make a joke about flowers? Well, Mal, who, a, a pleasant surprise, learning more about Mal, getting to know Big Mal, their roadie, who you saw playing the hammer on Maxwell's Silver Hammer and right. getting him coffee and being their bodyguard, and he kind of did everything. Welcome back Ringo with a bunch of flowers on his drum kit. And so when George quit and they were trying to get him back, Ringo makes this joke. Hey, are we going to welcome him back with flowers? Like, <laughs> it's true. Good old Ringo, man. I, I came <laughs> away. From awesome. That, oh, I came away from that documentary. Just loving Ringo. I don't know. You could you see guys. though, that he was pretty glossed over for, <laughs> for a, a lot of it. So I don't know if you noticed that or not, but the dude was pretty, pretty far gone for a old, lot of that. Yeah. Stuff. Old, old Richard was, uh, the red eyes. They, I believe they said smoking garlic in the, in the oh, documentary yeah. itself. Yeah. Oh, that's funny. Yeah, plenty, plenty, I think, surprised us. I learned so much. Like you mentioned that the timing of George quitting, I had no idea that was in the middle of this, which makes this accomplishment all the more impressive to me that they were still able to pull this off. Oh, yeah, it's mm -hmm. a miracle that this ever came. Oh. Well, speaking of impressive... Let's talk about our favorite musical moment of the documentary. What, what, was yeah. that, what was that piece that stuck out to you, Robert? Well, there was a lot of music on this album, not to be a spoiler alert for those who haven't watched <laughs> it yet. Um, but I think at the end of part two, um, when they're kind of wrapping up Let It Be, and you know they had several different versions of Let It Be, um, and you could see kind of the, and hear the, the genius behind how they morph that song into what we all know as let it be now. So I kind of like hearing those different versions, um, and how they, that creative process to get it to where it was. Yeah. I enjoyed that too, Robert. I think wow. that was a good, good pick. Absolutely. Yeah. That's, that's the cool thing about having a camera on them. 12 hours a day or however long they were there is you yeah. get to see you get to see the morph of all of these mm -hmm. all the songs that we know and love today they started out completely different it's amazing how they got there yeah that process was pretty cool i mean there was a lot of other songs that i kind of liked on there um but just watching it go from you know nothing to something was was pretty cool something i could never do i mean my songs in the shower definitely can't compete <laughs> All right, whatever. That's fine. <laughs> what, it, what was really interesting about let, that Let It Be song, I mean, we knew it was a masterpiece going into it, but John Lennon hated that song. And you could tell mm -hmm. he was just mocking Paul every time he sang Let It Be. And maybe it's because Paul repeated it like a hundred times. Maybe that he was just <laughs> tired of hearing it. Honestly, I don't know how these bands sing the same songs over and over and over again without just hating their own songs. Gotta be comfortable. Well, I think you saw kind of how they work through some of that with like, you know, singing a bunch of nonsense lyrics to, and, you know, and kind of adding a, uh, 
you know, a dialect or something to their, what they're doing to kind of keep it light. So there was yep. a lot of that. I noticed the amount of um, fun they there. had just with nonsense. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just changing their accents, co- playing completely different songs that have nothing to do with the album. Just like a, what do you call it? A palate cleanser when you're te- yeah. taste testing food, just yeah. something to something to change the mood real quick. Let's play something we used to play back in 63, 64, just not even our song. Let's just jam. And then they yeah. would go back to work. I thought that was so interesting. That's part yeah, of the process. Sure, sure. And then, like you said, Robert, just the morphing of these classics. Unreal how they get to mm-hmm. the, the end result. That's really cool. Yeah, and then such a short amount of time, too. Unreal. Like, they were they were writing this stuff live and crafting it together. So that was pretty Absolutely. awesome. Well, that, that fits my kind of my theme for my favorite musical part and it is a george harrison moment uh my wife got me probably my favorite christmas present that i've gotten a long Uh, time look at that she scored the beatles get back book look how thick this thing is so it has all of the dialogue the person who put this together gives backstory. It has all of the pictures from the documentary and more. So many of these pictures are from Linda McCartney. You probably saw her around mm-hmm. the documentary. So let me just uh, I'll read from the she book. She wasn't of nearly as annoying as Yoko. Not even close. In <laughs> fact, she was Linda Eastman though during Linda the... Eastman with a child. Mm-hmm. Yep, just saying. No, you're yep. exactly right. So George comes in, just uh, gets there early. He's there before Paul and John just talking things over with uh with Ringo just kind of spitballing and he had watched a documentary the night before on the BBC or like a science I think it was a science fiction series right after there's a dance that they show from Austria and it's like a waltz competition not uh, maybe just a parade and so they're they're going through this waltz they all have their medals on and their uniforms and he says it's like a three four thing as far as the time yeah three four time dun, 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 like a waltz and so he comes in the next morning with i me mine and he yeah. presents i me mine that he wrote while he was watching this random ball this waltz on tv the night before that's what i mean those guys were so prolific that any any little idea like that would lead to a giant hit just song trick, you know it just trigger it man. yeah and that's amazing amazing to me i go back and forth on my favorite song from that album and i mean mine is often uh, just the way they play with the different time signatures the the soft and the the hard rock that he throws in there as well i just thought that was super fascinating i think that was my favorite musical moment of the entire documentary just how how they display how easily something can trigger an all-time hit with any of yeah. them with all four, sure. all four of them. We'll give Ringo some credit here too. Mm-hmm. R- Ringo presented some of his songs that, that became really big hits as well. Yeah. In fact, if you want to transition right into mine, let's do it. That's exactly what I was going to talk about. There's two things. So I'm going to cheat just a little bit and give you two. Thanks. I'll do them quickly though. So we can cover them both. But what the first one is another moment between George and Ringo when they're at the end of a rehearsal, I think, or maybe at the beginning. And, um, and Ringo says, you know, I've got this much, you know, and he starts going over Octopus's garden, you know, <laughs> and then George jumps over there and he's like, well, okay, let's, 
let's figure this out. So he gets his guitar and he's like, Oh, what are you doing there? What are you doing there? And then the next thing, you know, we've got octopus's garden, right? Amazing. Anyway, that that's one. And then the other one quickly is George um, Martin uh, mm-hmm. jumping in there to do all of the strings and all of the arrangements for all of their songs. Well, not all of them, but a lot of their songs after they've come up with the, the basics of the song. So a lot of what you hear on the album is actually a mix, um, an arrangement arranged by George Martin. Yeah. And I think that to kind of see him doing that, just it's small in small amounts. I don't think Peter Jackson gave him enough screen time mm. showing him do that. But I know he wasn't the primary focus of this. Right. It was more the, the Beatles and all of that. But I think that his influence and arrangements are huge on all of the albums for the for the Beatles. And I think that you can kind of catch a glimpse of that through most of uh, episode two, I think. I was expecting him to have a bigger presence throughout. I, I'm with you. Just how big of a deal George Martin is. Some people call him the fifth Beatle. Yeah. To, to the well, entire... he sat back too. I think you could kind of see what how he how he does things and how yeah. he manages and produces and that. And he would sit back and kind of let those guys kind of do their thing. Uh, but then, you know, after they're done doing whatever they're doing, he's going to add his arrangements yeah. and make them just amazing. And then his engineering presence on Abbey Road later. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's zero doubt that they trusted him. They gave him the green light and he knew what he was doing. So, yep. yeah. Man, that, that moment between Ringo and George, that's so cool. And it was a song that Ringo wrote on Peter Sellers' yacht when he quit the band. <laughs> so he, yeah. he leaves the band and writes Octopus's Garden on a yacht, comes back, and just is messing around with it before the band shows up. George helps him develop it, and it's a huge hit. Yeah. And the, you could just see the love between those two, right? How, how George lovingly gave Ringo advice and kind of coaxed him in the right direction and Ringo was so humble to take the advice and to to seek the advice the history books will be written based on the next topic we will tackle so let it be known we are now about to reveal what broke up the Beatles what ultimately led to the breakup of what some call the greatest band to ever do it well, so I hate to be like the spoiler, but I have all the facts. Okay. Well, Robert, hit us with the facts. We will submit this for entry into textbooks everywhere after this podcast. We'll submit this as evidence. Lead the way. All right. Okay. There was four reasons. Four. Four? Four. Leave some <laughs> on the bone for us, bro. No, I got the right reasons. So there's okay, four. Let's, let's hear Four it. reasons. One. The real Paul died in 1966. He was replaced with a lookalike. Okay. And the band came to know that in like the 1970. They didn't know before. Hmm. That's one. So this genius that, anyway, keep going. Keep going. Yeah, that's one. Real Paul was dead. Real Paul's Paul's dead. dead. Okay. Got it. Two. If you spend that much time in a room with anyone, Mm -hmm you'll become annoyed by them. Okay. They spent a lot of time together. It's pretty legit. I slept through a couple hours of them spending time <laughs> with each other, and I was annoyed. Okay. Three. George's creativity was stifled. He'd had enough. 
He was going to go sing on his own, sing some songs. So that was three. And four, Yoko was a stupid and annoying and needed to quit giving John advice. Those are the four reasons. Wow. Okay. Nailed it. Yeah. I got it. What more can we even add? What do you think about that, Paul? End of episode. (laughs) Let it be written. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Hard to disagree with any of that. Well, Paul can't disagree well, with that because he died in 1966. He, died. Okay. he wasn't even around for the breakup. So the guy who they got to replace Paul, Paul was there. Paul too yes. is is so Paul too is a musical genius. Is that what we're saying? Because we Correct. witnessed well, it they in were this both musical geniuses. Okay, he was great. he was uh, British intelligence. Don't you guys know the story? They just happened upon a musical genius. To- no, they assigned the Beatles were too big. They assigned him. Okay, this was his mm-hmm. mission as British intelligence. His name was William Captain William Spears. Okay. Otherwise known as AKA as Billy Spears. Billy Spears. Oh, mm-hmm. Billy. Or I'm sorry, Billy Shears. Shears. Yes, that's what it is. Shears. Yep. William Shears. Well, good mm-hmm. job, Robert. You blasted that one out of the water, man. Yeah, that's all the reasons you know. right there. That's all of them. Hmm. Yeah. The second one, I think, is more real than any of you. Yeah, in a room, sit in a room long enough. Those guys did everything together since they were teenagers. So I mean that, that's, that's true. That's a, they would finish yeah. each other's sentences. Check the crowd. All right, Brandon, let's hear your reasons. Woo! Come on, don't man, you Robert, you kind of took them all. I'll I'll go a well, different route. No, I had all the facts, and I'm sorry to blow it out of the water, I, but I had to let it be known. As much let as we, be. as much as we, <laughs> nice. As much as we want to pin it on Yoko, that's that's where we all want to go with it. Uh, nah, I, I don't think she did it. As annoying as she was, and she proved it in the documentary, I don't think it was Yoko. And and I, I think it has more to do with what we witnessed with George. George obviously <laughs> had this entire catalog he needed to get out. So it was, it was little tensions like that that I think split the group. The, the one I want to focus on is they briefly mention a guy kind of towards the end that they meet with. Alan Klein. That dirtbag. So Alan Klein was an American businessman. He's had his eyes on the Beatles, as as a lot of managers did, ever since, especially since Epstein died, their original manager. And this man, he he was well known. You could see John, especially John Lennon's eyes light up whenever you would talk about this Klein guy, this American businessman, this pompous go-getter that they they would be able to set loose on the world and get them more money that's kind of they were they were really excited about the prospect of higher royalties they were hearing about from their friends in the rolling stones especially and that that rift that he caused in the band it it continued for years and years to come many point to that as the moment that Apple Records was set on a road to bankruptcy. Um, you, you take a look at the battles that they fought against Alan Klein later in court. He was greedy. They wrote songs about him. Every, I think most of them did. Most of the Beatles have songs about Alan Klein. They don't call him out by name, but they call out this greedy man that uh, is going to get what's coming to him. John had a famous song that he wrote a little bit later about him. Uh, Matt, maybe you can tell me later on in in the abbey road did it happen that quick you know, they have a song 
kind of pointed at a manager on the B side of Abbey Road. Is that who that's about? Could be. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know if that's the that's the guy or not, but it could be. The Beatles, they they weren't just these rich, never had to worry about money men at the time. They had money problems. They had businesses they were trying to run. And they had shady managers trying to get every penny they could from them. And they had money problems from time to time. They, they had to really pay attention to who was handling their money. And so Paul McCartney brings in Eastman, a future brother-in-law, Linda McCartney or Linda Eastman's brother. As a manager, they signed a contract with him. And then John, Ringo, and George bring in Alan Klein. And there, there was a huge rift, a huge battle that happened, millions of dollars at stake. I think that was the final straw that broke the camel's back. Alan Klein, what do we think? It might have been the final straw, but I don't think it was the full-out reason for the, for the breakup. But hey, it, it could have been. It was Matt, definitely um, you know, something that contributed. Uh, I, I just I saw... The more I looked into it and the fact that they hinted at it, they even paused on it in the documentary. It's almost like he, Peter Jackson was alluding to this is going to cause some trouble later. This Alan Klein guy. Anyway, that, so that, that's, that's the, the part I didn't really know a lot about before this documentary. And it sent me down a rabbit hole. I'm glad I went there. Of course, I wanted to go with my emotions, which was the George angle. So I don't know if that's the angle you're going to go with, Matt. What, what, what's, your, what's your thoughts on the breakup? No, so mine isn't a who is to blame. It's more of a what is to blame. So I feel like this boils down to one thing. And you guys can fight me on it all day long. But this is, this is it in my view. One thing that led to the breakup of the Beatles, and it was the word pride. Okay. That's it. That's what it boils down to. It's the root of all That's, evil, I've heard. It, it's what break up, breaks up every good band. Every good band that eventually, you know, that writes huge hits and has a great showing or whatever, the thing that will always tear up a band is pride. And what I mean by that is these guys all kind of had their own ideas. They all kind of had a, a huge ability to write songs and to, to be prolific in their careers or whatever. Um, and they all thought that they were bigger than the group as a whole, every single one of them. And I think when you wa watch that documentary, it shows throughout from the start of it to the end of it, kind of a battle of who's the biggest and who wants to become the biggest. Um, and it all is like a, the I, I, I thing. So if pride goeth before the fall, right? <laughs> so I'm, I'm just saying that is exactly what broke up the Beatles. It's not really... I don't think you can kind of pin it on any one person per se. Like you could say, Oh, well, it was Yoko or oh, it was Klein or whatever. I think those guys definitely contributed, but I think it was the pride. It was John saying, you know what? Screw you guys. We've never had anybody in these recording uh, sessions before. Screw you. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to bring in Yoko. And I think I'm convinced that that's why George Harrison brought his Harry Krishna guy friends in uh, the first episode too, is he was like, you know what, if you're going to bring in Yoko, I'm bringing in my friends right. and you're going to have to deal with them. 
and they're going to just sit here in the corner and and be a part of the recording sessions too <laughs> and then paul was like well screw you guys i'm bringing in linda she's our photographer you know she's gonna take pictures of the band or whatever you know it's just kind of a kind of a pushing match yeah a uh, between pushing match. a pushing match a pushing match between uh the four of them and then you know and then you get later on the financial aspect of it and you bring in <laughs> managers that want to jump in there and everything else it it all though is because of pride Absolutely. and it's the same thing with like led zeppelin and all the other big bands the ones that stay together are the least prideful ones for example mm -hmm. the grateful dead the rolling stones those guys kind of got out of each other's way you know they had a a, a leader that was kind of the leader of the band and the rest of them were just there to make music and they knew their role. And so it was different with the Beatles and it was different with, with guys like Led Zeppelin. They all thought that they should be the leader. And that's what always tears up a band yeah. in my view. Yeah. And it took time. It didn't just happen like over. Right. It wasn't just one thing. It wasn't just one event. It wasn't just one way of treating George Harrison. It was, it was kind of Paul McCartney and John Lennon saying, you know, <laughs> Yeah, you can write songs, but we started this thing and you're not going to, you're going to have your two songs per album or whatever yeah. it is and being prideful about it, I think. Yeah, they really grew apart. But yeah, really, it comes down to pride, right? That's what I think. I am, look, and we're going to let you, I, I'm, I'm included in this. Go watch the million documentaries, the million clips of people asking each Beatle a million times what broke you up. Every interview they did from the Beatles forward, somebody asked that question, and there's a million different answers that they give. But you could boil it down to one word. I think Matt nailed it here. It, it really comes down to pride, these little riffs. Each of them believing that they were bigger than the whole. I, I totally agree with that. So humble yourself. Humble <laughs> you got to bleep that one <laughs> but but truer advice has never been given robert humble yourself i mean there's the influence of the beach boys they mentioned several times there was you know okay one thing that i didn't know uh, before this thing and i probably should have is that um uh, what's his name love yeah. Mike, yeah, mike love from mike the, love was at the beatles retreat. was at the yeah I had no idea. <laughs> or from the Beach Boys. Yeah. I was kind of surprised at that. And then they sh they're showing old Mike Love out of this uh, with the Maharishi. <laughs> Crazy. What's interesting is Crazy. how they, like tongue in cheek, how they mentioned that retreat. Like yeah. Paul, Paul was mentioning to John like that. That wasn't you, man. Like you, you were weird when we were there. And yeah. John was like admitting, yeah, I was. But then George drops the truth bomb. Remember that? Right after he was like, well, we were there to find out who we were, not act like a certain way. Yeah. And Paul was like, oh, yeah, you're right. Yeah, Sorry. you're right. I just read that actually in this book. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. Give it to George, man. That guy's wisdom. He was the youngest, but he was full of uh, wisdom. Yeah, and I think people forget George was the baby. Ringo was the old yeah. man and they begged. I mean, people crap on Ringo, but I, I hope after they watch this documentary, they can see how, in, how, how crucial he was. Just somebody yeah. who could keep up with these geniuses as they're writing songs 
adding his two cents. He was basically writing the song with them, with his own beats and his restraint, I think is super impressive. Yeah, so I went into this documentary and my fi- my favorite Beatle was always Paul McCartney. Yeah. But then coming out of the documentary, <laughs> he's not my favorite Beatle. Wow. I'm just going to say, hmm. uh, yeah, I-, I think it's George. Okay. Yeah, I, I mean, didn't George really have was, a favorite before. Well, George and was emotional and stuff, but yeah. Uh, yeah, she's not, you know. Uh, I'm just kidding, Paul. George yeah. and Billy. Gosh, we didn't even talk about the rooftop concert. Um, nope. It was high. Some of them were, yeah, for sure. John, for sure. I love that performance. It's amazing. <sighs> I. And that's what well, that's what was so cool about this documentary is for years I've been watching footage of the rooftop concert, the last live performance the Beatles did together at least all of them at once. They had stopped touring years before that just because of the stress and the, uh, the amount of pressure that it put on the band. They were able to create much more intricate and interesting music when they stopped touring. That's when we got all the, the, the really good albums, in my opinion. Not that they, well, they, became a, they, be, they became a recording artist recording instead, of, yeah. instead of like a Rolling Stones traveling uh, performance band. Yeah, and then they pioneered all the different recording styles and the, oh, just the, the amazing music, the different styles, the world music they brought in. And, it, yeah. and so for years, I've been watching those, the grainy footage of the rooftop concert. And then all of a sudden, Peter Jackson drops this seven-hour the six hour build up to the rooftop concert, the actual end. And those, that performance is just so addicting to watch just, just how they just hours before that weren't sure how they were going to play a song or how a song was going to end or the lyrics to the song, like Robert mentioned earlier, how it morphed into what we knew later. And then they just got up on the roof and did their thing. You can just, you can just tell they still had it. You could tell they were enjoying it. You know, my favorite part of that whole performance was, is that these guys all just jumped at the chance. They, they didn't care that they were going to be trespassed and, <laughs> and get, and get tickets or whatever. They just didn't care. They were all on board or whatever. And then during of, the, during uh, the performance, you would see like somebody shut off Paul's amp or mm. John's or something. I can't remember. Maybe, oh no, it was George's. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Somebody shut off George Harrison's amp. So he went, he just reaches back and turns it back on. I, uh, yeah, I'm looking at some pictures right now of it. That's, <laughs> that was awesome. That was, they just didn't care. They were going to do it. And, and they when, did. when the, the bunch of police shows up on the roof, just the grin that Paul had on his face, just, yeah, yeah are we just a giant F you, you know, it was like a, <laughs> yeah. We're going to do this and screw you guys. And they, I, I think they had mentioned it earlier in the documentary. Wouldn't that be cool if they were dragging us away while we're trying to play? Like they almost. Right. It was like they were baiting them into to doing it. You know, they were looking for it. it was great. Oh, that, that's awesome. Just they were still teenagers at heart. They, uh, yeah, they were kind of the punk. rebels. They were punk rock before punk rock. As we get millions of viewers on this podcast, we're going to have to keep ourselves humble, guys. The pride. What? We're not already at a we million? Keep, we I've may fall down the same path that the Beals did, so we got to remember that. I'm going to pull a George and just walk out. Right we will, too, and I'll it. welcome Don't you back it. with flowers, flowers. and a Harry, <laughs> <and a> Harry <laughs> Krishna. And 
on that note, we appreciate everybody listening to this week's episode of the Assuminati podcast, covering again Disney's The Beatles Get Back documentary brought to you by Peter Jackson. Everybody go check it out. Be like Uncle Bobby, dedicate a few hours on the couch here and there, and you'll be able to get through it. And as Matt mentioned before, you do not have to be a hardcore Beatles fan to appreciate it. So go check it out. Check out our other episodes on YouTube. Tell us what you think. We'd love to hear from you. Until next time, thank you for listening. Bye. Did it. What do you think broke up the Beatles? Oh, I know. Okay. This is what the people need. <laughs> is Robert's take on yeah. Robert. Watch Robert. 192%. Watch him nail it. Do you have something negative to talk about, Robert? I always have something negative to talk about. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'm not super negative, though. Yeah. yeah, Oh, crap. Hold on. My smart uh, He just went dark. Can we talk conspiracy? Turn on Office B. Yeah. (laughs) Anytime the conspiracy comes up, they're the smart house. The lights just shut off whenever something goes. That's the government shutting you down. Nobody wants to know. Turn this this podcast off. Billy Shears' family heard you talking about him. They're always listening. Yeah. British intelligence, baby. Mm -hmm. Yeah.